Instagram, I, I learned, I now troll myself. Um, but Twitter, yeah, Twitter, just take you down a rabbit hole. And I'll be like tweeting people at two o'clock in the morning, like, you know, people from YMPN or but I'll be like, respond this. And they don't respond. So I'll be like, do, 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 do. And I'll just like, you know, respond with a meme or whatever. It's really okay. funny. I'll wake up with yes. a million yes. notifications. Yes, please do. Please do. But sometimes it's good because sometimes with with our with the Wild and Free account, you won't know who it is. Yeah. So you could yeah, sometimes yeah. be trolling me or be trolling Allison right. or Allison's trolling yourself. We should yourself, play who, who's on. But you can. I think it's pretty clear who's who, though. Is it? I don't know. That'd be interesting to see. Yeah. 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 I, we should have a game. Yes. Mm. Whose tweet is it anyway? Yeah. Oh, this that's <laughs> a good tweet to is engage it anyway? listeners. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We need to have Sarah on more often. She's this is she's you're, good. You're like but the you know muse what? for like these crazy ide- well, ideas. Well, it's just that, that she really should be a third co-host because no, you're into what we do. You hella listen to podcasts and you love Harry Potter and food. I think that makes the perfect. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm fine as a guest right. and a supporter. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, you'll be excited to hear. We're gonna have a party probably at a bar downtown. And, well, the, we had told you that we were going to have a party, I think, at one point. Like, and we were going to have all our uh, past guests on. But the purpose is to get out and rock the vote. So oh, awesome. we won't be registering. Maybe we'll... No, no not by then. Okay, but we yeah, will be talking about getting out and voting and maybe right. have an Instagram Live portion where we talk about why are you voting, yada, yada, yada. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'll be getting the invite. Awesome. It'll be an invite. We love yes. to plan it. Yes, yes. All right, we're on. All right. Well, well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Wild and Free, a Battleborn podcast. This is Jacob. Hello, this is Allison. All right. And who do we have in the studio with us today, Allison? We are joined again by the lovely Sarah Perez. Hi, Sarah. Welcome back. Hi. You're our first return visitor, (laughs) return guest in the Den of Descent. Number one. I'm so awesome. That's why. (laughs) Yes. We agree. Yeah. 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 Most definitely. Uh, so we decided to have Sarah on today. Um, as our listeners know, Sarah is an immigration attorney, and we wanted to have you on to talk about um, shit that's going on um, immigration-wise. Sorry, wise. Allison's mom. Yeah, sorry, Ma. Um, immigration-wise under the current administration, and I know um, from previously working with you that you accompany a lot of people to immigration court. So I thought it would be interesting for our listeners to hear really how the whole process goes, what it's like for immigrants that request asylum here in the United States, the process that they go through. Yeah, of course. Um, So it's a very complicated process, and it involves a lot of uh, technical terms that are hard to explain, but I'll do my best. (laughs) You got this. Yeah, no, so like... um, how do people apply for asylum? There's like many different, there's a few ways. So um, we hear a lot about people coming in in the border, but actually a lot of people actually use, um, you know, people are very creative, creative so they'll um, get a visitor visa or student visa or some type of way to enter the country. And then once they're here, they go ahead and file an asylum application. But, you know, for many people who are seeking asylum, that is not an option or that is not something that's available to them. So another way that people uh, try to get to the point where they can apply for asylum is by making their way to the border and presenting themselves at a border uh, patrol station and announcing that they have a fear of returning to their home country. And so... 
We'll have a lot of people that show up to the border and say that they're afraid of returning to their country, and Border Patrol will then give them what is called a credible fear interview. Mm -hmm. And so in this credible fear interview is designed to detect whether whether we really believe that you have a fear of returning. So it should be a really low bar. Are you afraid of returning to your country? And if you can, uh, if you can explain the reasons why you're afraid of returning to your home country and, and the officer finds you believable, then you have a credible fear. And so once that is determined, then you are placed in removal proceedings. Now, that is what I just described is the process that an adult would see if the adult were to turn themselves into the border. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, an unaccompanied minor, uh, anyone under 18 years old who shows up at the border without an adult or without a parent, really, um, they they don't really go through that process. So what it is is that the border, border patrol finds them, once they determine that it's a child, then they turn them over to um, the Office of Refugee Resettlement and they get placed in a sort of foster home with social workers who then try to match them up with a family member who's in the country. And these kids are also placed in removal proceedings. Mm -hmm. The kids do have a different way of applying for asylum than adults do. So kids, um, if you've entered without, without without a father or a mother with you, like if you entered alone, then you have the right to request asylum from the asylum office instead of the immigration court, Mm -hmm. which is what removal proceedings are, uh, proceedings in the immigration court. So if you're able to do that, then what happens is you present your asylum application in this office where it's a non-adversarial setting. Which is nice, you know, for a child, you know, they don't they they get to present their claims in front of a neutral person who is just going to hear what they have to say, mm-hmm. ask them a few questions, determine if they meet the asylum standard, and if they do, they get granted asylum. If the officer determines that perhaps he doesn't meet this standard, then they refer him back to immigration court, where they get to present the asylum claims in an adversarial setting with a neutral, which would be the immigration judge, and then with an opposing party, which would be the government. Mm-hmm. So um, the, then the other way that people come in as um, an asylee is refugees. And refugees mm-hmm. are the people who are outside of the country. And usually you see mostly those when they're in like in a refugee camp or something like that, mm-hmm. where they're being processed to enter whatever country, the United States, um, as a refugee. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these refugee camps are not everywhere. You know, um, they have them for countries with a lot of conflict, like Syria and places like that. But Central America, uh, I have yet to hear of a refugee camp for Central American com- countries, which is really sad because there's a lot of conflict there too. Mm-hmm. So these people don't have the means to just turn themselves into a refugee camp to be processed as a refugee they sort of have to do this process at the border. I gotcha. Wow. And so what are the type of cases that you personally see here in Vegas? So here in Vegas, I see, you know, the whole spectrum. I see kids who have not, who were, who came in unaccompanied. Um, so kids who came in all by themselves. These kids, when I see them, they usually have now been matched with a family member in Vegas. And this is why they're in Vegas. And um, so I get to represent kids. Um, I get to also represent um, adults who also have turned themselves in at the border or were caught right after ter- 
you know, crossing the border. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get to represent those sorts of adults. And then I also represent families, you know, um, m- moms who came in with their kids, um, dads who came in with their kids. Uh, so like a lot of what we're hearing now is all this family separation. Um, I have also seen clients who were separated from their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it is very heartbreaking to see, but you do see them. They do come to Vegas as well. Um, some some of it is not even by their own accord because they're mm-hmm. in detention. So, um, oh, okay. yeah, so immigration officials will determine which detention center to send them, and they don't necessarily send them to where their family is. So I've had a few clients that were in the detention center in Pahrump, uh, which is one hour outside of Las Vegas, and uh, their family members were either in Florida or Massachusetts or New York or, you know, anywhere, really. Wow. Anywhere in the United States. And just to be clear for our listeners, uh, does the state uh, sign people immigration attorneys to represent them or how do people, uh, who represents them? Or Yeah, no, there is no uh, program to match a person to an attorney. There is no um, right to counsel. Like, like no public like, defenders. Yeah, no public defenders. Like in, okay. in a criminal court setting, yes, you have a right to an attorney. And if you cannot afford one, the state will provide you with one. Not in immigration court. In immigration court, you have the right to, to get an attorney, but the court and nobody, nobody's going to give you an attorney. Now, there is a program for people who have, um, you know, any kind of mental health issue or anything that might keep them from being able to represent themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a program to like match those people up with attorneys. Uh, but it is a program that is only uh, just starting. Like it's not very available in ev- every state. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't believe they, they have attorneys matched up here in Las Vegas. Yeah, doesn't. So, uh, but I think they are trying to get attorneys here in Las Vegas because I did hear about it. So that is a good program for 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 those um, uh, people in removal proceedings. But the fact is, is that kids, it doesn't matter if they're unaccompanied, they're not going to get an attorney assigned to them. The court is wow. not going to look for an attorney for them. And so kids really do end up, many end up representing themselves. And it could be any kid, three-year-old, so two-year-old. It's, it's like the pictures that we saw of like the small children in the courtroom by themselves that in front of the judge. That is completely accurate. Wow. Okay. Completely accurate. There are the lucky kids who um, who can afford an attorney because the person they're staying with is willing to pay for one. Then there's the lucky kids that do get representation from nonprofits. And we do have a fabulous uh, nonprofit here, which is the Bernstein Program for um, Kids at the law school. Mm-hmm. At the Thomas and Mac Legal Clinic, I, the name of it actually escapes me, but I know them very well because I work with them all the time. Yeah. But um, and Catholic uh, Charities, yeah, Catholic Charities also takes many cases. But there's not enough immig- immigration attorneys that represent people before the court. Pro bono, yeah. I mean, there's mm-hmm. definitely not enough. I mean, Legal Aid Center of Southern Nevada also mm-hmm. takes a lot of cases. Um, the Thomas and Mac Legal Clinic and Catholic Charities, sorry. But um, but pro bono attorneys, there's there's never enough. Mm-hmm. So some of these kids, if they don't have the means to hire a private attorney, then yes, they have to uh, represent themselves. 
And can you walk uh, walk us through the process? What it, what is it like to accompany people, primarily children, um, before an immigration judge? What's that like? Uh, what kind of questions yes. do they ask them? Well, actually, the same exact questions they ask any other respondent, and respondent is the immigrant that is being uh, that has a hearing with the immigration court. There is no difference whatsoever. Um, you would think that maybe the presentation or the demeanor would change because it's a child and a child doesn't understand things the way an adult does, mm -hmm. but it really is exactly the same. I represent adults and children, and I rarely see a difference in the way the judge or opposing counsel really handles the cases. And I mean, you have to understand their perspective too. They see many cases a day. You mm -hmm. know, they sit there from eight in the morning until noon, not getting up, hearing case after case after case. And I can see how people can just become jaded. But um, but these are kids at the end of the, day, of the day. But, you know, there are some judges that will like maybe give them a compliment or, uh, you know, try to make them feel a little bit at ease. But that's not common I don't not from what I've seen mm -hmm. uh, in terms of me my experience representing kids it's, it's very tricky because a lot of these kids are matched with family members that are might be undocumented mm -hmm. and these family members maybe don't want to go to immigration court because they're afraid and no matter how much you can reassure them and be like no you're going to be fine you it, the hearing is for him not for you you can go into the court Oftentimes, parents ask me to just take them in myself and and mm -hmm. be and like be. I kind of have to be responsible for this child for the duration of this hearing, and you know that's a big responsibility. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, if if I can ease somebody, maybe help somebody not have such a, you know, nightmarish time, you know, at the immigration court, that's fine. I'll do it. But um, it is pretty sad how scared people are. Mm -hmm. And so I'll, I'll be walking in with the, with this kid who barely knows me and, um, we've met a few times, sure, but yeah, it's not the same. Well, and how do you represent a kid that maybe, I mean, he's, you know, five years old, he doesn't fully understand what's going on and maybe can't even explain why he left his country, right? Or, and what he's doing here. They don't understand at all. Wow. Like even the adults, the adults, like, even if you have an adult client, it is very difficult for the adult themselves to understand what's really going on because this is such a complex system. Mm -hmm. um, it is tricky to even just try to explain it here in in a way that makes sense because a lot of it doesn't even make sense that you have to do all these different things in order just to show that, oh my God, they're, they're going to kill me in my country, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the kids definitely don't understand what's going on um, and you try to explain them as best you can. Uh, but yeah, there, there are kids who don't even know why they've been brought to this country. They don't even know that the danger that they are in because only the adults know that someone's been threatening to, to do some harm to this kid. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, sometimes you do require the adult's help to, to represent this case. So maybe you'll bring the adult in to testify um, or g gather letters from their home country and police reports and anything you can get your hands on to show why this kid is in danger because the kid themselves, you know, they might not even know mm -hmm. why they're here, what's going on, why am I seeing this guy in a black robe and, you know, why do I have to come into this 
building that I have no idea about. And, you know, some of them, a lot of them start crying, you know, because they feel scared. Like, they know this is serious, but what's going to happen? I, they don't even know. Gosh, that'd be so frightening. I mean, with no con, there's no context. They have no idea what they're getting into. You try to, yeah. You try to explain it as best you can, but imagine, like, I can only imagine if when I was that age, when when I was young, like, I would have been crying. (laughs) Any time that I was faced with any kind of situation outside of my comfort zone, I just wanted to cry. Yeah. So I can totally relate to these kids. Well, and having to deal with authorities, right? A lot of these people, they come from countries where authorities can't be trusted. Uh, Oftentimes they work hand in hand with organized crime or gangs, etc. So they come here and they associate the government with, you know, as an evil presence. So why would I, why believe in this system? I, you know, they're, they want to deport me. Why be truthful? And I feel, feel, I feel my life is at risk. No, it's very true. Mm -hmm. Even me, even I have to show them, Hey, I'm someone that you can trust. Right. Like even me, I'm, I have to sit there and try to explain them, explain to them, I'm your friend. I want you to stay here. I want you to be safe because they might even think that I'm working against them. Mm -hmm. Uh, They come from a place where you can't really trust anybody. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's the situation in most of these countries. You just can't trust even the neighbor because the neighbor might know somebody that knows somebody or it's really scary. So even just to trust their own attorney, it's, it's something that you have to deal with and then try to trust the person that they're talking to um, and, and, and help them understand, you know, this is the way that I can help you stay here and not go back to that scary place that you don't want to go to. And what type of documents do people present to you? Do they have, uh, police reports and, uh, victims documents from the countries that they're coming from, or, you know, what kind of support do they receive from the country that, uh, what do they present to you? Yeah, that is tough because, I mean, think about it. If you're sitting in your house and someone's coming and saying that they're going to kill you if you don't do X, Y, and Z, and, and you know that person kills people because you've seen it and you've mm-hmm. heard it. So, I mean, it doesn't really, it's not the type of situation where you're going to be like, okay, what do I take with me? Not really. You know, it's such a scary situation that most people just run out with the clothes in their back. You know, they just like plan this so quickly. They leave within in a matter of days. And so a lot of people don't have anything. A lot of people, all they have is what they know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, ideally you would have a police report. But that's hard because people don't trust the police in their home right. countries. Uh, the police are often... Um, dirty they don't they work for maybe the gangs or the people who are threatening them Um, sure there are good cops out there I I I believe there are but it's hard to know which one's which right Mm -hmm. right and uh, so police reports are so hard to come by because they don't trust the police Mm -hmm. Um, medical records you know a lot of them don't have the money to go seek medical attention so medical records are hard to come by as well. So most of what I can get is like newspaper clippings, maybe death certificates from family members who have been murdered or suffered a similar fate, um, or, or even letters just of witnesses, family members that know what's going on and know why this person had to f- flee the country. 
and then the person's declaration, which is really the primary evidence is what you know. Mm-hmm. And so a big part of, of proving your case is, pro- is being credible. Mm-hmm. If the person is credible and is telling their story, um, if the judge believes them, then it's a matter of does the story meet the standard? Mm-hmm. Right. And how, how many cases do meet that standard? Not very many because the tricky part is that most of the... Most of what the controversy is, it's about um, the Northern Triangle, which is Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. And most of the claims that come from those countries are going to be either domestic violence or gang-related claims. And uh, we're seeing, especially with a recent decision by the Attorney General, um, those claims are, are, are not, they have a hard time meeting the standard Mm -hmm. and this recent decision by the attorney general tries to foreclose asylum to people claiming these things so Mm -hmm. if if i come here claiming gang violence and this is why i'm I'm seeking asylum uh, this decision by the attorney general might work against me very Mm -hmm. likely will work against me Uh, or if i'm coming here claiming that i'm a victim of domestic violence and my country won't protect me from my aggressor that's another claim that's that the attorney general tried to foreclose. Now, I say tried. A lot of people think, oh, they are foreclosed. But technically, every case needs has to be seen. It's a case-by-case. Case. You know, mm-hmm. every case has to prove itself. And um, you can't just say anybody who's claiming this is, you know... A blanket statement. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. that doesn't... It's not supposed to be that way. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be that, okay, maybe the, the cases that he overruled are no longer good, but I still can prove a case if I just have the right elements and the right facts and everything like that and the right arguments. Mm-hmm. So people should still be arguing those claims, but it's become a lot harder to prove those cases and win. So here in Las Vegas, uh, for example, we have a very high denial rate, uh, 97% with one judge. Wow. Uh, 97% denial rate. Um, Sounds fun, like to be an immigration attorney here, right? <laughs> it's a challenge for sure. Um, you walk in, uh, I mean, ready to fight because you never give up that fight. Mm-hmm. If not, give up the day job. You know, right. <laughs> go do something else. So you're ready to fight every single one of these cases, but in the back of your head, you kind of know odds are we're not going to win. But you know what you do is you take it up on appeal. You're more likely to win the appeal than you are the actual case. Mm-hmm. And I have I have had a few cases be remanded back, sent back to the immigration judge. Like, okay, maybe the analysis wasn't exactly right. Judge needs to review this, and we get a second bite at the apple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the uh, and immigration law is constantly changing it is mm-hmm. um cases come out all the time they come down the pipeline all the time changing how we view a certain legal theory or changing uh the standard a little bit the standard moves up and down and so we just got to keep on keep up with all the changes uh, because something might benefit you mm-hmm. or something might work against you i actually had a case recently where i was taking it up on appeal and as the case went through the different levels of appeal a decision came down the pipeline that favored my client. Oh, and wow. So, okay. And so that case got sent back. I didn't even have to. Um, it was already at the Ninth Circuit level. And so I didn't even have to go forward with the argument because opposing counsel 
move to remand, which means to send it back down because now there's new case law that actually proves the point I was trying to make oh, that's uh, for my client. So, you know, sometimes you get good news like that, but that's mm-hmm. actually rare. Yeah. <laughs> right, I bet. Um, it's more common that the news is bad. <laughs> yeah. So what would you say to critics that say uh, there's a lot of people in this country that argue, well, you know, there's a certain process to, to follow. Why don't these people go through the appropriate procedures to request, um, you know, any sort of permit here in the country? Why, why, especially in the case of these children, right? A lot of people are arguing, well, just stay in your country. Why are you exposing them to the dangers of, you know, ca- crossing through Latin America and going through the border and everything? Like, what do you say to them? What, what are they fleeing in their countries that, you know, they, they would expose? their kids to all of that of course yeah um well the proper channels they are using the proper channels you show up at the border and i mean the reason why there's a credible fear interview and there's all these steps is because the law has already contemplated that people will show Mm -hmm. up at the border afraid to go back to their country and this is what you do to make sure that this person is truly afraid and that perhaps they should be allowed to apply for asylum. Mm-hmm. So this is a proper channel. This is not wrong uh, to show up at the border and and, and request asylum. Um, sure, uh, some of the asylum applicants perhaps entered the border without having first presented themselves at a border checkpoint. But even that, you know, you're just trying to make it into the country to then request for asylum because asylum law also provides for the one year. Uh, so there's a, there's a rule that within the first year of being in the country, you have to request asylum. So mm-hmm. even those people still have the right to request asylum. Uh, it is true that entering without authorization breaks the law. But you also have to take into consideration that these people are coming from very desperate situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and perhaps in a desperate situation, you're going to do what you can to get out of it. Um, and why, crimin- why criminalize it, right? Exactly. Um, you know, it, it, the policy is to send a message. You know, if you come here, we will put you in detention. But, you know, how effective is going to be that message when in your country you're facing possible death, mm-hmm. torture, rape, uh, you know, just all kinds of horrible things? You know, I- I'm not sure that, oh, if you come here, we'll put you in detention sounds so bad. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. If, if, I'm, if I'm being told, if, if I am facing all those horrible things, I'll take your detention any day of the week, mm-hmm. you know, even though it's horrible. It's horrible to be in detention. Uh, nobody's happy in there. I'm not saying that people in custody are like, oh, thank goodness I'm here. No, they. it's a miserable time in detention. But think about what they fled. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I hear the critics saying, oh, why'd you put your kid through that situation, you know, that treacherous road. Anything could happen. It's true. It's a very dan- dangerous path to come from, uh, to make the trek from El Salvador all the way to the United States, you're, you're going to come across very bad people. And a lot of my clients have, I have clients who have been kidnapped in Mexico, who have been, uh, brutally raped in front of their children in Mexico. Um, people who have suffered just the most horrible things. People have seen other people die on the way here, but you know, these people are not naive. They know these dangers. And so think about that. Like, 
you know how dangerous it is and you're still going to go, how bad is it in your country? Right. How yeah. bad is it over there? And it's bad because the stories you hear are nothing to laugh at. Like people are scared. People are in danger. These gangs have become so powerful and they're terrorizing whole, whole countries, mm-hmm. whole communities. And you hear anything from a single threat, sure. Some people have been threatened just once and they mm-hmm. run away. They run away because they know that that threat is going to grow into something bigger. Mm-hmm. And it, it could turn into, I'm going to kill your mom, and they kill your mom. Uh, it could turn into, I'm going to kidnap you. It could turn into, I'm going to rape you. It can turn into any kind of horrible thing you can think of. And so that's why even a single threat can make a, somebody just run away. Because mm-hmm. they know mm-hmm. what comes next is worse. I saw a case of a teenager... Um, he's, he'd been in the United States about when we handled his case, he'd been here about four years by that time, but he had been recruited by the Mara Salvatrucha at a very young age. Like he was forced to enter the gangs at like eight or 10 years old. And four years after living here in in the United States, living in a safe home, he told me he still live, uh, he still sleeps with the machete under his pillow. Mm. He still has nightmares because he he didn't know what could happen. They had threatened to rape his sister, to rape his mother, and he, he constantly lived in fear. And he knew he was fine, but he still just had, you know, he would have these panic attacks, yeah. these nightmares, and he kept that there as a security blanket. It's intense what these kids have been through. Um, and these poor kids at such a young age have seen more horrible things than any of us will in a lifetime. Well, could you share, without going into too many details, a positive case, a a case that has resulted in um, someone being granted? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, as bad as our denial rate is, right, um, there are successes, and I'm very proud of them. So I have had women who have gone through very horrible um, domestic violence situations where they've been... Uh, beaten to a pulp by their domestic partners and and we've gotten them asylum Uh, I've had kids who have been threatened and um, I had the cutest little client just in December Um, we went to the asylum office and she was the cutest little thing and we um, it was the funniest thing because everybody was like when I was prepping her uh, I was like, do you speak English? So I try to warm up to them. I'm like, oh, do you mm. speak English? And she goes like, yeah, I speak English. And everybody laughs. And they were like, no, you don't. You don't speak English. Ha ha ha. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, she doesn't speak English. We need an interpreter. Good. Okay. Now I know. When we get to the asylum office, they have like toys. And so she starts playing and I start playing with her. And we start talking in perfect English. And I'm like, <laughs> Mm, maybe she does know English. Okay. And I was like, well, maybe it's just like an elementary English, not enough to pass an asylum interview. We get to the asylum interview and she's so young that her uncle is there to also support her application because he came in with her. So they interview her. We had to hang up with the interpreter because it turns out she's answering before the interpreter even Hmm. (laughs) interprets the question. And I'm like, she does know English. And it is so bad that the uncle is there and the uncle is trying to do the interview in English and he like he'll like answer a question incorrectly and she'll turn around to him in Spanish and totally interpret the question. Like, <laughs> this is what she said. 
And it was just the cutest little thing. Mm-hmm. And she had she was in such danger in her country. She she was in danger for being related uh, to her family member. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just for being related to somebody. She her life was at a risk. And the interview went so well. And but I was like, odds are we're not gonna get it. But a month later, lo and behold, we got that asylum approval. Oh wow. And That's awesome. Great. That's yeah. awesome. It was Awesome. Yay. Well, it must have been a good case, but also she had a wonderful attorney in you. I hope so. I hope I help people for sure um, because that's that's all I can do. Yeah. Well, as a mostly immigrant-led uh, podcast, um, this issue is especially important to us. So we really appreciate truly all the work that you do. Yeah, definitely. And um, you know, thank you for coming on and talking to us about your work. And we'll talk. We'll have you on another day to talk about abolishing ICE and other fun stuff going on. Let's do and it. Harry Potter. How do we do it? How do we abolish ICE? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, tune in for episode two. Yeah. We're gonna of ha- Sarah. Yes. It's episode three of Sarah. Yeah. Technically, that's episode would be episode three of Sarah. Yeah. We're gonna hash yeah. out the plan on how to abolish ICE. Yeah. We'll do it. We'll do it. Perfect. On air. Yeah. We should. Yeah. Definitely. Awesome. All right. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for coming in. Um, As always, this has been Wild and Free, a Battleborn podcast. And Allison, who is our team today? We have our producer, Jose Sotelo. We have research assistance and fact checking by Ashley Pacheco. And creative assistance by Berta Gutierrez. Of course, we have the Concha Queen, Raven, the dog of the Den of Descent. And I do have an update on the name of the place at UNLV's School of Law. It is the Edward M. Bernstein and Associates Children's Rights Program. It uh, is a very long name. Yeah, that's it a is mouthful. It's very descriptive. Mr. Yes. Bernstein. So now yeah. you can forgive me for not remembering. Right. Yes. No, yeah. I think it is A OK. When I saw that, I was like, I don't know how you would remember that. That's for lots of information there. Yeah. So. All right. And, uh, Folks, as those of you that are listening, make sure to uh, rate on the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. Helps Five us. stars, please. Yes. Visibility or the, high, the highest rating, whatever it is, whatever true. platform you're using. True, yeah. true. It'll, it'll help uh, us trend in Las Vegas and get more people to know what's going on. Yes. So, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank Giddy you. up. There we go. <laughs> the oh. last episode we were... Let's give them info on registering to vote. Oh, yeah. So as you all know, here on Wild and Free, a Battleborn podcast, we're very passionate about civic engagement. So we want to remind you, if you're not already, you need to register to vote in the state of Nevada. Allison, can you tell me how would one go about registering to vote here in the state of Nevada? You need to log on at the following website, Jacob. It okay. is www. N as in Nancy, V as in Virginia, S as in Susan, O as in Oscar, S as in Susan, dot G as in government, O as in Oscar, V as in victory. So that is, once again, www.nvsos.gov. And Allison, when is the last date that a person here in Nevada can register to vote? So the deadline um, is 30 days before the election. Last business day is Friday, October 5th. 
So, listeners, you need to be registered to vote in our great state of Nevada by Friday, October 5th, and uh, we count on you to be registered to vote. Yeah, don't come around complaining if you don't vote. No, we won't like it. it. Mm -mm. No. Giddy up.